If you have your Bibles, we will be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, as we get started this morning, have you ever had that time in your life when you've been waiting with anxiety for the news? Not like Fox News, but waiting, because that will cause anxiety at all times, but waiting with anxiety for some news of someone. Maybe you're waiting with anxiety for the news about someone's health. Maybe you're waiting with anxiety about the news someone's gone on a trip and you're waiting to hear that they got there safely. Maybe someone you know who's in a a scenario where something is dangerous and you're waiting to hear that they're actually okay. You know those feelings that are involved in that, whether you're a parent, waiting for your kid, you're a spouse, whatever it is, there's these feelings of like, I'm waiting for the news, I can't control what's happening in that other place, all I can do is sit and wait and listen, and hopefully when the news comes back, the news is going to be good. And then when you get the news, the phone rings, the email comes in, you get the old school letter and you open it, and the news is good news. You know that sense of relief that you feel? That like sigh of relief, that breath of fresh air, that, oh, I can like live again, right? That's where the Apostle Paul is, is telling us about in these verses that we're going to be in today. In chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and following, it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, this is our text from last week, we were willing to be left alone uh, in Athens that we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. And he goes on in verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. And what the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter, is saying to this young church, he's saying, We were really concerned about you. That when we started the church and we were there for a few weeks and you grew in your relationship and your faith in the Lord, that was really cool. We developed this relationship with you. He said, we didn't just share the gospel, we shared our own lives. And then he said, we got pulled away and we couldn't be there. We couldn't be with you and be present. We know we left you in, a, in the middle of a difficult and dark circumstances. And Paul said, I was really worried about you. Like I really cared about your spiritual condition. And Paul at that time had gone to Athens and he was waiting in Athens to hear. It's a couple hundred miles away. He's waiting to hear the news. And he said, I couldn't take it anymore. So I sent somebody that was really important to me, Timothy. And I sent him back. And I said, go find out how they're doing because I really care. And Paul, actually, in the time that Timothy had gone back to Thessalonica to, to find out how this church was doing, Paul had moved on, we believe, to Corinth, which is even further away. And Paul is in Corinth and he's waiting for Timothy to come back. And he's recounting this in this letter. And Paul, you can feel the emotions that he had for these people that he cared about and wanting to know the news. And what was that news going to be? Was it going to be bad news that they had faltered and that they had been tempted and they had walked away from the Lord and they were living in the same lifestyle that they had been? We all know what it's like to get that news, don't we, about someone you know. Or was the news going to be good news that they had been established in their faith and they were strengthened in their faith and they were actually growing in their faith? And Paul's waiting for the news as he recounts this. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, we get to hear what kind of news he got. Let me read all of it for us and then we'll break it down. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6. But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us the... Good news! Yes! Guess what? 
positive sermon today. Three people, all related to me, said yay, right? They're like, I hate it when dad's negative. Yeah, yay! It's going to be a positive sermon. You're going to be happy you're here. He has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is so encouraged. And if you're reading English Standard Version as I am, it probably says right up there the the, uh, section heading, Timothy's encouraging report. The news comes. It's good news. The good news is especially cool for Paul because Timothy tells him, Good news, they love God, and they also still like you, and any pastor wants that to be said of them, right? If for some reason, I'm not looking to, but if I had to be called away from here, I would really hope that when somebody came and said, you know, how are you doing spiritually, that the church would be like, we're doing all right. What do you guys think about Steve? Uh, sketchy character, right? No, I want you to love God and love us, and that's what happened with Paul. Through this, we're going to see some spiritual encouragement this morning. And my desire and my hope, what I think the Lord wants for us is to be encouraged this morning. If you're a Christian and you're walking through a difficult time, that you'll find some encouragement through this text this morning. If you're not a Christian and you're here and you're joining us and you're maybe searching for the Lord or just kind of not sure, that even that this would be an encouragement, that you might see what a relationship with the Lord looks like and the encouragement that that provides So I'll walk through the text, I'll break it down, I'll give you three pieces of encouragement. The first one this morning we'll see in verses 6 through 8. The first piece of encouragement is this, this, the encouragement to keep standing up. Keep standing up. He says, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news. I want to stop with those two really important words, good news. The, The Greek word euangelion is the good news, the gospel. Paul uses that word a lot in the letters that he writes. Other New Testament writers use it as well. When we talk about the gospel, that's what we're talking about. In their day, it was a pretty generic word that just meant good news, that they used for lots of different things. When the Apostle Paul used it in all the letters that he wrote, when he used that word that we understand as good news or gospel, every time that Paul used it, he was talking about the gospel of Jesus specifically about the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that when he uses it in every letter that he writes to anyone, he's talking about Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, some aspect of the gospel every time he uses it, except for this time. This is unique in the, in the New Testament where Paul takes that word and he uses it for something other than the gospel of Jesus. When he says to the Thessalonians, Timothy came and he brought us this news about you. And he says that it was good news, that it was euangelion, that it was good news, it was gospel. He's saying that that is like a a form of life-giving gospel to him. 
There are other words that he could have used to express, like, yeah, I'm pretty happy about this. I'm pretty positive about this. But he's exploding with joy, and he's exploding with relief in such a way that he, again, uses a word that every other time he uses it, he designates it for the gospel of Jesus. I point that out to show you that this is a really big deal, that when people see us responding positively, standing up under pressure, when people see us doing that, it is a spiritual encouragement to other people. In fact, he says it like this. He says he's brought us the good news of what? The good news of your faith and love. That's, that's their walk with God. Okay? The faith and love. Their walk with God. He says the good news is you're walking with the Lord. You've remained firm in your faith. You've remained strong in your faith. That's expressed itself in love. Then he says, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. It's not just their faithful walk, but it's their relationship with Paul. Both of those are important. For us as a church, your relationship with the Lord is of utmost importance, but it's never meant to be lived in isolation. It's never meant to be lived in isolation from other believers. Paul takes great encouragement here from the fact that these people who he invested spiritually in were still standing up, still standing strong under pressure. Verse 7, he says this. He says, For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted or encouraged about you through your faith. Paul says, I'm going through tough times. I'm going through difficulties. We know that pretty much everywhere the apostle went, he was persecuted. And you can follow that in the book of Acts 16, 17, and 18, especially as, as the context of what we're reading, that he was constantly persecuted, constantly being uh, abandoned by people, constantly false teachers, constant, 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 over and over. And he says that that is distress and affliction. But in the midst of that distress and affliction, he's actually encouraged. And look what it is that encourages him. The fact that the people that he's invested in are remaining faithful. And the fact that the people that he's invested in are still uh, invested in the relationship with him. Their faithful walk and their relationship with Paul made his distress and his affliction easier. Did you know that when you walk faithfully with the Lord and you walk faithfully in relationship with other people that you are an encouragement to others? One of the things that happens in a, in a church is that we can actually create a culture of spiritual encouragement. Different people come in having gone through different th things every day, every, every Sunday here. As pastors, that's one of the most interesting pieces of our job is that when we have a few hundred people come in on Sunday between the services... We have a few hundred different experiences that people have had throughout the course of the week. Some of those have been great experiences, right? Your team won. You got to eat chicken wings while your team won. Like, great experiences. You got to go out to the mountain. There was sun, and it's October, and you're like, I've never seen that before in October, right? The, the, uh, I open my app, and it starts, the, the weather starts with a 7. I'm like, it's over 70? Praise Jesus, there is a God. Global warming's a thing. No, just kidding. Sorry. But sometimes you come in and you're really happy and you're positive and you're excited. And the guy in the pew next to you has had a crummy week. His chicken wings got burned. 
right? But one of the things that's supposed to be true of a church is that through our faithful walk with the Lord and our love for each other, that there's a spiritual encouragement. That as we stand strong and stand firm together, that there's a spiritual encouragement with each other. And Paul is showing us that in his relationship with these people, this church. Verse 8 says this, For now we live, or, or it gives us new life, it revives us, it's like a breath of fresh air. Now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, standing firm, planted, rooted, not going anywhere, in the midst of distress, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of difficulty and hard time. Paul says, it's like a breath of fresh air to us. He says, I know where I left you. Last week, I talked about the cultural current of going downstream and Christians called to swim upstream. Paul's like, I know where I left you and that you're firmly rooted and you're firmly planted and you're standing up and standing firm. He's like, that brings me great strength. Lots of pictures come to mind when we think of things standing firm, standing fast. I like lighthouses. That's one of the great ones for me. You probably have other thoughts and ideas. Trees are one of them. And specifically, there's a tree that is actually like we've really enjoyed as a family, spent time around it different times. I'm not talking about a Christmas tree, but I'm talking about this tree. This is called the banyan tree. It's in Lahaina, Maui. And uh, this is one picture of it. It's actually, it covers about 1.9 acres of space there in downtown Lahaina. Uh, it's 60 feet tall, has 16 different trunks. Now, that's all one tree that you see behind me. And it was really hard to try to find a shot that shows the whole thing, but 16 different trunks that are all part of one tree. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful sight. And it's been there for 150 years. As a matter of fact, it was planted uh, 150 years ago in, in April 2023 is 150 years ago. It was pl- planted as an eight foot sapling on the 50th anniversary of the first Protestant missionaries that came to Lahaina, Maui. The guy planted the tree there. And now you see what it looks like. And for me and, and the wife and the family, like that's been a, a, a cool spot for us. I'll show you why. This is my honeymoon. It's a picture of my honeymoon. You see me up there? That's a few pounds. I, I know it's dark. I did that on purpose, right? And there's my wife there, and, and we're there beside the tree. And we took a bunch of pictures by the tree. I actually had to go. That was before cell phones or phones in general. And I had to go back and find some old pictures and there are two of them. Now, those aren't the most embarrassing ones. I don't know if they know I'm going to do this. But here is my mom and my girls at a younger season in time around the tree as well. They didn't carve that thing in the tree, I don't think. But uh, that's them. So we've spent some time around that tree. And it's really cool when you're there because if you've, if you've been there and seen it, man, it really feels like standing firm, right? 16 trunks, 1.9, almost 2 acres. And you're like, this thing is going nowhere. Now, all of you know that there were some horrific fires in Lahaina, Maui, just a couple months ago, right? It wasn't the first thing that I thought, but it was one of the first things that I thought when I started to hear about that. Lindsay and I were just there for our 20th anniversary. We were there just weeks before the fires. We were in Lahaina, and I was thinking about that and being there and the memories. And one of the things I thought about was this tree. And I thought, oh, like, is the tree gone? Like, is the, is the banyan tree just burned up? Is it gone? And if you saw the news, you realize that it really took a hit, right? It got scorched badly in the fire. And everything around it burned up. And it got scorched badly. They didn't know, like, is it going to 
Is it going to live? Is it going to die? What's going to happen? But one of the great pieces of news that's come out of the, the fire is that in the midst of all the carnage, in the midst of all the desolation, that the tree is actually still alive and new buds are starting to bloom. And that's one of the aerial shots to me that as I looked at that, I thought, that's a perfect illustration of what it means to stand up in the midst of affliction. Like those are cars that are melted by fire around that tree. I don't know about you, but like I did a lot of research and trees are made from wood. And fire usually burns wood. And so as you look at that tree, and I won't go into all the science behind why it didn't burn up and how come it only scorched part of it and everything around it is completely burned, including all these trees around it, but it stood firm. And I thought, I want that picture in my mind when I think about the affliction of life, when I think about the trials of life, when I think about the hardships of life. Doesn't that picture in some ways, typify what it looks like to live in the mix of a, what Scripture calls a crooked and perverse culture. Like all around us, things are scorched and burned. And you know what? Some of that's going to hurt, even us. But when I think about standing up, man, I think about that tree. and I, I, That's what I want to be true of my life. That when everything all around me is, is just burning up, that I'm standing up that I'm standing firm. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So as you think about that picture, think about this. Think about standing up under affliction. What's the the, the hardship? What's the difficulty? What's the persecution? In in your life, think about standing up under temptation. Because as we saw, the tempter had come and was tempting them. And it's not always just difficulties and hardships. Sometimes the thing that threatens to burn us up and keep us from standing firm are the easy things, right? Are all the temptations, all of the worldliness, all the things that are pulling us in a different direction. Stand up under stress. Stand up under doubt. Standing up under despair. Standing up under pain. All of those things. Standing up in the midst of what God has us around. Keep standing up. Notice the words in verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast. And if the prepositional phrase wasn't there, we'd be in trouble, right? In English. If it ended with standing fast, we're in trouble. But, But does it end there? Look at your Bibles. Make sure. For now we live if you are standing fast, how? In the Lord. In the Lord that I'm not there to stand fast on my own and just work harder and try more and do better. But I'm standing fast in the Lord. I'm standing fast by having deep roots and deep anchor in the things of the Lord. Standing fast. I know that in a church of our size, that when I get up and preach, that, that there's somebody who's thinking of giving up. Rather than standing up, you're thinking of giving up. You're thinking of cashing in the chips. You're thinking of being done with this whole thing. And I want to encourage you specifically, if that's you, to don't don't give up. Stand up. Keep standing for the Lord. And sometimes the only way that I can stand up is to have people stand beside me. And that means I need to ask for help. And if that's you, and you're on the verge of being done, on the verge of giving up, on the verge of giving in, we want to help. If you ask for help. 
And it may look different for different people. But we want to be here and we want to help. Don't, don't give up. Keep standing up. Verses 9 and 10, he says, in addition to keep standing up, we've got to keep growing up. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? Another way of saying this, how can we thank God enough for you? Paul is exclaiming, how can we thank God enough for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before God. Again, our growth encourages other people. Our growth encourages other people. Verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, Paul was thankful that they were standing up, but he was also cognizant that there was more room to grow. There's always more room to grow, isn't there? As I said, the banyan tree was planted 150 years ago as an eight-foot sapling. What if 150 years later it was about 12 feet tall? And that was it. It was just there. One trunk, not 16 trunks. One little spot in Lahaina, not 1.9 acres. You think it made it through the fire? Did you see all the toothpicks around it? Right? That if we want to keep standing up, one of the things that we have to do is we have to keep growing up. And some of the news articles that I read actually said that the only reason that that thing survived is because its sheer size protected it. In order for us to stand up under the pressures of the world and stand up under the temptations of the tempter and stand up under the, all of the things that we have to stand up against, we've got to keep growing up. Paul says in, in verse 10, that he's praying most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He's saying, we want to come back to you. We know we had to leave prematurely. We taught you some things, but there's so much more that you need to know. We want to continue to help you grow, and we want to come back so we can help you grow. When he says what is lacking in your faith, we don't think sin issues, okay? When he's talking about this to this particular audience, this particular group, he's talking about things that, that he has not yet been able to inculcate into their lives. Pieces, understanding of Scripture, understanding of Christian life and living and how the gospel applies to life. In other words, there were gaps in their knowledge, gaps in their understanding. And Paul says he wants to come and help fill in those gaps. No matter where we are in our spiritual life, there are gaps. For your pastors... There are gaps in our knowledge, gaps in our understanding, gaps in the way that we perceive how the gospel applies to our life. Each of us has blind spots, right? Each of us has those places that we need to continue to grow. And one of the things that can be very, very dangerous is that we can kind of get to a place in our spiritual life where we're satisfied, where we're content, and then we just kind of push pause and stop. And go on with the rest of our life, but we're kind of okay in that spot, right? I made it to church two out of four Sundays this month, nailed it. I mean, I slept through both of them, but at least I was there, right? You ever have that diet? That diet where, you know, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to stop eating food that ends in Eto's. I'm going to start doing things that resemble like exercise and activity. And I'm going to lose some weight, Right? And so you go all at it, and you lose your 20, 25 pounds, and then you're like, nailed it, I'm good. Buffalo Wild Wings, let's do this, 
right? I'm going to celebrate. And you put all 25 pounds back on in 15 minutes, plus an additional 10 just for fun, right? Whether it's our personal health, whether it's the growth of a tree, whatever it is, you have to continue to grow. That if we, if we don't, we stagnate. That we don't get to just kind of get to a spot. No, I'm, I'm good here, and now I'll go on about the other things. That the Christian life is a life of growth until the Lord returns. In the meantime, right? Spiritual encouragement in the meantime. Until the Lord returns, we're supposed to be continuing to grow. And we say you can't stand up if you're not going to grow and continue to grow up. One of the things we do is that we let yesterday's victories get in the way of today's priorities. We had a spiritual victory when, you know, when we went to camp, or we had a spiritual victory when God answered this prayer in our life, or we had a spiritual victory when we were really involved in that men's or ladies' Bible study. We had spiritual victory, and we're still kind of like resting on that spiritual victory back here, and it's keeping us from growing in our relationship with the Lord today, right? That's what we don't want to do. So here as a, as a church, corporately, we believe that part of our job is to help you grow spiritually. And here's how that works. As we think about it and try to quantify, how can we do that the best? It's a two-pronged approach that we think about. The first is Sunday. It's Sunday morning worship. We really believe that what happens up here through worship and through all the things that we do gathered corporately is step one in spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, especially as we open God's Word. And again, the reason that we use the Scriptures and go through books of the Bible is because this is where growth comes from right? We're not trying to make you disciples of us, but disciples of Jesus, and we do that through his word. And so step one is coming and being here and, 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 and being engaged, talking with other people and growing in that way. Step two, though, is the step that's often difficult for many of us. We have Sunday, and then we have what we call something smaller. And we're always trying to say, get involved in something smaller, be involved in something smaller, and the idea is this, is that on Sundays you sit in rows and you look forward and you listen to somebody preaching, you sing and engage with other people. In something smaller, you sit around a table with people, right? You sit in a circle, you sit across the table with somebody, and you get involved in a spiritual relationship with someone. Maybe that's at a men's Bible study or men's breakfast or ladies' Bible study or now ladies' breakfast. Or maybe it's at some other activity or event. Right now at the 11 o'clock hour, we have a workshop. Pastor Lauren teaches a workshop every Sunday at 11. Right now they're talking about healing from life's hurts, right? And I would say if that's you and where you're at, feel free to go there instead of here on Sunday morning. Or come at the 9 o'clock here and then go there for the 11. But those are ways that we ha have to help you grow. There are lots of different ways. And if we can do something to help you take a next step, again, I'd encourage you to fill out that Connect card. Hit the QR code even now while I'm talking that's in front of you. Fill out a Connect card. We'll get you plugged in to a place to grow because we want you to keep standing up and you won't keep standing up if we don't keep growing up. Number three, in verses 11 through 13, that you won't keep standing up if you don't keep growing up and you won't keep growing up if you're not looking up. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul's actually praying in these verses. You remember in chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan hindered the way. Satan tore up the path. 
that Paul wanted to come to them, and he said, Satan hindered our way. But you see, now Paul is praying that God would direct the way. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. A few cool things going on here. Paul, again, he's offering a prayer. And you're like, why is he praying right in the middle of the letter? Well, one of the things he's doing is he's actually setting them up for the next stuff. So starting next week is when stuff gets really practical in this letter. And Paul actually just outlined it for us. Watch. In verse 12, he said that the Lord is effectively, the Lord's going to cause your love to overflow. Well, if you look at chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, he's just going to expound on that. Here's what it looks like for your love to overflow. Right over here in chapter, uh, in verse 13, the first part of verse 13, he says that the Lord is going to make your heart strong and blameless. In chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, next week, we're going to see exactly how God does it. He's going to unpack that. And then he says the Lord will come again with all of his saints. Well, he unpacks that in chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. We get to talk about the rapture and some of those crazy end-time theological things. So one of the things that Paul just did is he said, here's the stuff that I'm going to talk about. But even more than that, he introduced a really important tension. I want to point it out to you. There's a repeated word that's really important in each of these verses. It says, now our Lord Jesus would direct our way. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. May he establish your heart blameless and holiness. And he will come, the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Over and over and over again, he points to the Lord. He points us to the Lord. He introduces one of the more important and controversial tensions in Scripture. The tension is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. How do we put those two pieces together? How do they work together? That's such a tension. In fact, major camps have been created and labels have been given to these camps that we're the sovereignty people and we're the free will people, the human responsibility people, and you don't love God enough and you think that you just get to love God and not do anything about it enough. And major fights and some would say even wars have been created over those two sides. God's sovereignty and human responsibility and trying to resolve the conflict. Can I tell you my view? I don't think God wants the conflict resolved. But I think that the tension is actually there on purpose. Do you know that tension in lots of areas of life serves an important purpose? A couple weeks ago, I came home, drove in the driveway, and I pushed the garage door button. The garage door went up about a foot and a half and then came back down. I pushed it again. It came back up. It went back down. I thought, what have they done? So I go inside. Hey, the garage door's not working. Yeah, like there was a really loud noise. And now the garage door doesn't work. And it was no one's fault. I went out there because I'm a man and I'm like, I can fix this. No problem. Some of you are laughing already and you shouldn't be. Ouch. So I go out there, I roll up my sleeves, I'm looking around and I just see these wires dangling from the garage door. I was like, that's probably not a problem. And I start putting stuff back together and I hit the button again and it all explodes and falls apart. So I'm looking even more and I realize there's this massive spring across the top of it. And not only has it come apart, it's exploded. Right? There are pieces of it in different places on the floor, and it's unwound, and the wires are all over the place. And I was like, okay, duct tape. We can take care of this. Right? At that point, it was, it was time for me to use the most important power tool that I have. My favorite power tool. My cell phone. So I got the phone, and I called. And I said to the garage door company, oh, this is what we got going on. 
Oh, yeah, that's your tension spring. Those things blow out all the time. We'll come over for 500 bucks. What? That's another kind of tension. But they came over and they fixed the tension spring and informed us that tension is really important. Tension is important in life sometimes. In the sovereignty and responsibility, human responsibility, in that debate, like tension is really important. If somebody were to say, it's all about sovereignty and there's no human responsibility, then that means I'm not accountable for anything. But if on the other hand, somebody said, it's all about responsibility and there's no such thing as sovereignty, then God's not God. At the end of the day, I believe that Scripture teaches that God initiates, that God was sovereign before I ever had any responsibility, that God initiates, but then I have to respond, and that sovereignty and responsibility go together in tension in that way. That's not meant to be like an answer, but it's meant for us to understand. Like when Scripture says, as Paul says here over and over in these verses, that the Lord directs our way, that the Lord makes you increase and abound in love, that the Lord establishes your heart, and that the Lord will come with all of His saints. That is showing the sovereignty of God. But that does not preclude the responsibility of us, which He's laid out in other places. It may precede it, but does not preclude it. Does that make sense? Right? The sovereignty of God comes before the responsibility of people, but it doesn't just eradicate it and wipe it out. And what my job is, is to keep looking up. My job is to continue to stand up under pressure, whatever that looks like. It's to continue to grow up in my relationship with God. And I do that by continuing to look up. That great word that's come up time and time again in 1 Thessalonians, where he says in verse 13, our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That word, parousia, again, as it's been woven in week after week after week, saying the Lord is coming, the Lord is returning. How do I respond? How do I live in the meantime? And I hope it's an encouragement for you to see that how you live in the meantime is you continue to stand up, you continue to grow up, and you do that by continuing to look up. And I want to conclude today maybe a touch differently I want to ask you this question. Again, in my text, uh, it says, Timothy's encouraging report, that what we've just read and looked at is actually a report that Timothy gave to Paul. He went, he checked on their spiritual condition, and he came back and he reported to Paul. So, so that begs this question. If someone were giving a report on my spiritual condition, what would they say? If someone were coming and giving a spiritual report on my spiritual condition, if someone were given a report on your spiritual condition, what would they say? Would it be encouraging? Would it be discouraging? Would it be despairing? What would they say? That's not meant to be a guilt trip. That's not a question that's supposed to induce guilt. It should be a question that helps us continue to rely on the Lord. But I think that is a question that we all need to ask and answer, is if someone was going to give a report on my spiritual condition, what would that report look like? And then the follow-up question is this, then what needs to happen? Right? What, what needs to change? As I've said, man, if we can help, we want to help. We want to be about the growth and, and encouragement of God's people. But that's a question that each of us answers individually this morning. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand with us this morning, stand with me this morning. I'm going to pray, and again, if we can help, 
you can use a QR code to connect with us or right back on the back table, grab a connect card, uh, let us know how we can help. Again, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for your patience this morning with all the things that have been presented. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful again for your word. We're thankful that it guides and directs our lives. And we do pray uh, for your encouragement where that's needed this morning. God, for the person who maybe just needed to hear those words keep standing up and maybe needed to see that picture, that that would be in their minds. That that truth from your word and that picture from, from your providence and your creation um, would help encourage someone to keep standing up. God, for those of us who need to keep growing and filling in the gaps, God, that we would just continue to find real practical ways to do that. God, help all of us to just keep looking at you. We can't do it on our own. We can't muscle our way toward it more and more. God, I pray that you would help us to continue to be uh, encouraged spiritually by each other and by this church and by your word. Again, God, thank you for what you have in store for us this week, and I pray that you would take us out and take us through that um, with your love and your grace. God, as we did this morning, just to stop and, and to pray for your people, the nation of Israel specifically, with all that we've just started to see in the news and all that's going on again in the Middle East, God, we believe as we teach on the end times that you have real things in store for your people. God, I just pray that your hand of providence would continue to guide we don't know what it's all supposed to look like. We don't, do know that we're supposed to pray for your people, and so we do, and we lift them up. And we pray that you would continue, as you will, to be in control, be sovereign. God, we love you, and we thank you that we can bring these things before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.